That's according to a group of prominent atomic scientists. They look at worldwide perils, specifically nuclear threats and climate change. Basically, the closer to midnight, the closer the world is to destruction. A new year, but no let up in the spread of the Ebola virus, especially in Sierra Leone, where the president's asking people to observe a week of fasting and prayer. Sharp new warning of all-out war. For the first time, the mysterious and secretive nation has threatened a preemptive nuclear strike against the U.S. Extremists targeting Christians from Ethiopia, taking them captive and killing them in the name of Islam. It's been called the worst terrorist attack in Europe in years, and it has shocked France to get Members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, Science and Security Board find conditions in the world to be so threatening that they are moving the hands of the doomsday clock. It is now three minutes to midnight. All right. Well, last week we talked about Midnight being a word Jesus used in the parables talking about preparation for his soon coming return. And if you're new to Christianity, new to church, and you think this is kind of strange, all these prophecies, it's different, it's out there, we understand. We, we hear what you're saying. But so did people. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, they thought, this is strange. People like Micah and Isaiah making these prophecies and predictions uh, about this Messiah who was going to come, and he would be born of a virgin, and there would be a star in the sky leading wise men to Bethlehem, and there would be a baby born in a manger who would be the Messiah. And every single one of those prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus came ended up being fulfilled, and that turned skeptics into believers. So if you're a skeptic today and you're not sure what to think about this, all the prophecies about the first coming of Christ came to pass hundreds of years before he came, and then now there's five times the amount of prophecies written about the second coming of Christ, and I guarantee you every single prophecy is going to come to pass. How do I know? My faith is in change for over 2,000 years. You can have faith in things in this world, buildings and chairs, but this stuff one day is going to be gone. This thing right here, it lasts from generation to generation. It never changes. God says, my word will endure. So I put my faith in this, and we see that there's prophecies. And last week I asked, how many of y'all know the exact hour Jesus will return? Most of you uh, agreed that you didn't know the answer, <laughs> but the truth is Jesus says none of us will know the day or the hour. He says in Matthew 25, verse 13, no one knows the day nor the hour, so be watchful, be alert. He could come back at midnight like the twinkling of an eye. Just be ready, regardless of where you stand, when the rapture will come. The main thing is that you would be spiritually ready, prepared, that you would have your life right with God. In other words, you're not living one foot in the world and one foot in church. Last week, I gave you some takeaways on how to be ready, being right with God, watching and praying, and then lastly, standing for Jesus. And today, I want to give you some takeaways as well. Here's why I want to give you takeaways, because oftentimes, I've sat through messages about end times, and it's a lot of information. And today, I am going to give you a lot of information. And sometimes there's not a takeaway like, what do I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? If Jesus doesn't return, how should I live my life in light of all the information? I'm going to give that to you today. And here's my thought. 
Bible prophecy, the purpose of it, is less about you making a calendar and more about you building character. The purpose of Bible prophecy is not for us to make a calendar, but for us to build character. Can I get an amen, church? Jesus wants us learning and gleaning and growing to become more like him rather than sitting around and trying to guess the hours and the days. It's good to understand it, but just remember the purpose of it is to make you more like Jesus. Amen? If you're like me and you grew up a little bit in, uh, in church, or I grew up a lot in church, maybe if you grew up with just a little bit of church understanding, Sunday school teaching on end times, you heard about things like the rapture and tribulation and the antichrist, and I told my testimony last week, I was a paranoid kid that I was going to be left behind. I had watched all the movies, Left Behind, Revelation, Apocalypse, Tribulation, Mark of the Beast, uh, pretty much any end time movie you can think of, I watched it. And me and John would sit around, and anytime we heard thunder in the sky, we would start repenting because we didn't want to miss the rapture. And that's the truth for us. The other thing it stirred up was a paranoia that we thought, in fact, every week we would guess who the Antichrist was. Be honest with me. Did you ever guess who the Antichrist was or talk about it like, I think he might be the Antichrist? We used to think that. John and I, if someone was mean or if we saw someone who was kind of really controlling and strong on the news, we were like, you think that's the Antichrist? I don't know. And the truth is, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the Antichrist, his time will not be revealed until the restrainer is removed. Who's the restrainer? Most scholars and theologians believe the restrainer is the church empowered by the Holy Spirit that is advancing the kingdom of God, withholding the Antichrist from setting up his domain. When will he set up his domain? Who is he? What do we know about him? We're going to talk about that today. The most information we get about the Antichrist and about tribulation is in Revelation, although there is quite a bit of information in books like Daniel and Ezekiel. So we're going to piece those together, and today... I'm going to give you a suggested timeline and outline of the end times from the book of Revelation. In doing that, I'm going to give you a lot of information, and we're going to move quickly. I'm going to move uh, like Perry Stone. Lots of information. So get ready next weekend, because it's going to be good with him. But um, I'll say this. We're going to upload a lot of these notes to Facebook later this week, Victory's Facebook, so be checking. That way today, as you're taking notes and you're listening, you're able to relax and, and not scream at me, don't change the slide, you know, because um, I think my mom wanted to shout that last night. I was moving really fast. She was like, hold on, I didn't get all that in there. And so uh, the good news is we're going to upload it later this week and you can get it all. Let's go real quickly to Revelation chapter one, verse three. Why do we read the book of Revelation? John says this, or actually Jesus gives John this, this word, Revelation chapter one, verse three. He says, blessed is he, blessed are those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So church, we are blessed that we're even studying the book of Revelation. We are blessed to even be in a church that's daring and bold and brave enough to tackle a topic that most churches aren't talking about. So, and I gotta tell you, the two biggest tactics of the devil to stop the church from looking into Revelation, because he knows if you get into it, you're gonna be blessed, Jesus says that. The two tactics the devil uses is fear and confusion. And so a lot of people are afraid to look into revelation and Bible prophecy because they think, man, I just, I'm scared. It's doom and gloom. It's not doom and gloom. 
It's joyful for Christians when you know where your eternity is and you know uh, who, your, who your Savior is, your Lord. But the second thing is confusion. It causes kinds of confusion. And, and we know this, God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, our God is not the author of confusion. In other words, he would not put a book in the Bible for us to read that would confuse the mess out of us. He put the book in the Bible for us to understand what will come. What's going to come? And when we read this, he says, blessed are those who hear this. And God emboldened me like two months ago. God said, Paul, I want you to preach on end times. Nobody said it. No one was pressuring me. It was just like the Lord, the Holy Spirit just confronted me. Paul, I want you to preach on end times. I said, God, I'm not an expert on end times. I want to leave that to the experts. God said, Paul, just preach the Bible. If you'll preach the Bible's views of end times, if you'll preach, stick to the scripture, I'm telling you, it's going to bless the church. It's going to prepare the church. So that's what we're doing. And not just blessed are those who hear it and read it, but blessed are those who keep the things that are written in it for the time is near. Jesus is coming soon. The book of Revelation was written by a guy named John the Beloved. He was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus. Jesus is supposed, uh, we, we read in history that he supposedly died in 32, 33 AD. And John wrote this book around 95 AD. So John lived 62 years past Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead and ascending to heaven. Here's where John wrote the book. He wrote it on an island called Patmos. He was exiled to this island because during John's time, when he was an older man, there was an emperor who rose up and claimed to be God. This emperor was not the Antichrist, but he had an Antichrist spirit. He said, you worship me. Everyone worship me. Bow to me. I'm the only God. And, and John said, I've seen God, and you ain't God. And I'm not bowing. I refuse to bow to the political pressures of the day. So John said, I'm not bowing to you. And so that emperor exiled him to the island of Patmos. While John was on the island, he had this vision. He was caught away, a vision. He, was, he saw a glimpse of heaven and the things to come. And he wrote the vision down, the book of Revelation. He first wrote it to the seven churches in Asia Minor, but then the book was really written for all believers to understand and to see what's going to come. So we're going to break it down into five sections, and each section I'm going to give you a title of Jesus because the book of Revelation is less about a plan and more about a man. It's less about a plan, and if you read Revelation just to get a plan, you're missing the point because it's really about a man. It's about Jesus. And man, when I've been studying this for this series, oh my goodness, I will tear up just thinking about Jesus, how amazing he is. And I encourage you as we review this today and give a general overview, go and read the book of Revelation for yourself. It'll give you a greater love and intimacy with Jesus. That's what it's all about. So the first section is Revelation chapters 1 through 3, and this is the section I'm going to title Jesus, the Alpha and Omega. Well, what does that mean? Well, we see in Revelation 1 verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, um, look, he's coming with the clouds. John says this, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen. Now, verse 8 says, Jesus, he says this, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. 
So in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm A and I'm Z and I'm everything between. There's nothing before me. There's nothing behind me. I'm it. I'm everything. He says, listen, I'm the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the almighty God. Verse 18 in chapter 1 says, I'm the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive. Come on, somebody. Jesus was getting like intense on these guys. He's like, you tried to shut me down, but you can't. Come on. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, Satan has been defeated. Jesus is the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end, and he's coming soon. Before we get into Revelation 4, many people believe certain events will happen. This is a suggested timeline. I'm not saying it's the timeline, so some people see differently. But I'm going to give you the suggested timeline of what happens before we get to the next section. The cry, uh, Jesus will appear in the air. Where do we get that? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14 through 17. He's going to appear in the air. We also see 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 9. John 14, 3, Jesus said, I'm coming back. The first time he appears, it's for the church. The second time he comes at the end, it's with the church. So he appears in the air. Secondly, the dead in Christ, they're going to rise up. That's believers who've gone on ahead of us, who trusted in Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. And then the church is caught up. Another word for caught up is raptured. They're caught up. Where do we see that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. So this is when the church is caught up with the dead in Christ, gathered with Christ in the sky, and believers are rewarded. This is a different judgment than the judgment we're going to talk about later on. But this is the judgment seat of Christ, and many people have used the word bema, B-E-M-A, from the Greek uh, uh, idea of at certain athletic events and big track meets, there would be judges who sat in a seat called the Bema seat. It would be a seat where they would award medals and uh, honors and awards and rewards for those who competed and ran and did the athletic events. In the Bible, there are actually awards given to believers who trust in Jesus and stay faithful, and we know those awards are crowns. Everybody say crowns. Not crayons, but crowns. <laughs> crowns on your head. Not the Burger King crown, but actual real crowns. And I'm going to tell you what we do with these crowns, but watch this. There's five crowns mentioned in the Bible, and there's probably hundreds, maybe thousands more up in heaven that are given to believers. But we see the incorruptible crown. That's in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Paul says, I... Uh, I'm running this race, not aimlessly, not for a temporary fading crown, but an incorruptible crown. So those who run the faithful race, how many of y'all are planning on running your race faithfully? Come on. You don't have to look at someone else's lane or someone else's race. You just run your race. If you're a businessman, do it for the glory of God. If you're a mom, if you're a teacher, a nurse, a preacher, a, uh, a political person, whatever you're doing, do it for God's glory. Run your race faithfully. Secondly, a crown of rejoicing. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 2. Then third, a crown of righteousness, staying with it. That's 2 Timothy 4. Paul told Timothy, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished the race, and there lays for me a crown, a, a crown of righteousness for your faithfulness, for just sticking with it. And then fourthly, a crown of glory for faithful pastors. Come on, somebody. And then fifth, a crown. Lord, help me to just stay faithful in Jesus' name. You know, I'm convinced... We don't have to uh, impress people. We just need to be faithful to God. God's not called us to just be popular. He's called us to be faithful. Uh, fifthly is the crown of life. Those who suffer, and I'm not talking about like when your car breaks down. 
I'm talking about those who suffer for Jesus, who are thrown into prison. You saw in the video we played earlier, the 21 Coptic Egyptian Christians who were beheaded by ISIS for their faith. It says that there is an eternal reward, a crown of life for martyrs and for those who've been persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Praise you, God. Some would say it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. All these crowns one day are not to be on our head, to be worn and compared like my crown's better than your crown. Look how many rubies I got. These crowns one day will be thrown at the foot of the Savior who wore a crown that none of us could wear, a crown of thorns who died on the cross for our sins, died for us. And the week after next week, I'm going to talk about the sneak peek of heaven that we see in the scriptures. Don't miss it. Because there's a lot there of what happens. Section 2, Jesus is the Lamb of God. This is Revelation 4 through 5. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the worthy one to open the scrolls. During this time, there was people in heaven, the, the saints and the elders and the church, and everyone was gathered around the throne. And John said, who's worthy to open the scrolls? There were these scrolls that couldn't be opened by anyone. And all of a sudden came in the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. We know that as Jesus, who died for us and took our sins. And it says he is worthy to open the scrolls. So section 2, Revelation 4 and 5, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Section 3 is Revelation 6 through 18. If you want to have wild, vivid dreams, read Revelation 6 through 18 right before you go to sleep. This is the most intense part of Revelation. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? You've read this. You're like, yeah, it's intense. And this is the part where there's a lot to talk about. Next weekend, I've asked Perry Stone to cover a lot of this, but I'm going to cover a pretty good portion right here, right now. Is that okay, church? During this time, Jesus is the righteous judge. Many people talk about the love of Jesus and forget Jesus is love, but he's also righteously just. He's righteously just. And so this is a, a season that's going to happen in the world that will be the worst season that the world has ever experienced. The worst. Revelation 6 through 18 is the righteous judgment of Jesus. What happens during this time? The seven-year tribulation begins. The Antichrist is set up. The temple in Israel is rebuilt. The Antichrist, and if you're looking for words like Antichrist in the Bible, you're going to see the word beast which is just another word for Antichrist. He will be a leader that rises and institutes a mark that makes everyone wear it. Most people believe it's going to be 666. It'll be on the, uh, on the right hand or on the forehead. And this mark he will use to operate buying, selling, trading, and require people to get that mark. We'll talk about what happens when people don't get that mark later. Revelation 13 says the Antichrist will be killed, and then he's raised back to life. And in that moment, he deceives a lot of people because when he comes back to life, he claims to be God. In Revelation 11, God appoints two witnesses. People think this is, most people think it's going to be Enoch and Elijah uh, who will perform miracles and preach. And then they will be murdered, but then they will come back to life. And it's going to be awesome because the Antichrist won't be able to stop these guys. He's going to think he does, and then these guys end up winning a lot of people, opening the eyes of a lot of people to Jesus. Also during that time, Revelation 17 and Daniel 7 show us that the Antichrist is going to assassinate world leaders and move towards a one world government. Right now, we can see 
things happening with the European Union. Uh, lots of nations coming together. One day the Antichrist will be the leader of the majority of nations in Europe coming together. And then he will then begin to dominate and kill anyone who does not take the mark of the beast. I know you're listening to this right now and you're going, this is intense. But this is part of the Bible and this is stuff we need to understand and seek to uh, 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 study and understand the picture of Jesus in all of this. Because Jesus is in every book of the Bible. He is most definitely in Revelation. At the end, Revelation 16, verse 16 through 19, the Antichrist is finally defeated at the battle of Armageddon. Church, this is an exciting moment. Yeah, praise God. I remember going to the, 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 the area called Megiddo in Israel. Our family took a trip to Israel when I was younger. My dad was talking on that uh, plane where you could look over the field, the plains of Megiddo. And he was talking about these very things. And I remember just sitting there and just imagining Jesus coming on a white horse one day. And it says that the Revelation says he's going to have a sword in his mouth. It's the word of God. And he will bring justice and he will overthrow the Antichrist. And he will defeat every enemy. What happens during this time? Three different judgments happen. And we're going to talk about each judgment. The seal judgments. This is Revelation 6 and Revelation 8. The seal judgments are... Um, a time where the four riders of the apocalypse will come forth. John Hagee's talked about this here before. Moon turns blood red, bloodshed from war. A fourth of the world is going to die from famine, plagues, and wild beasts. The second judgment that happens is the trumpet judgments. This is Revelation 8, 9, and Revelation 11. During these trumpet judgments, seven trumpet uh, 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 sounds will be blown. Hail and fire mixed with blood falling from the sky. Once again, this is very... Vivid, what John is seeing, this vision. Poisonous locusts will attack. I hate locusts. Praise God in Jesus' name. I'm not going to be here during that time. A third of vegetation destroyed. A third of water contaminated. A third of sea creatures will die. A third of light will be lost. A third of the world will die. Remember, all through this time, listen to this, this is important. All through this time, God's mercy still remains. God's going to give people a chance to get saved. There's going to be Christians that are coming, that are during this time persevering and having patience to endure all of this. And 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to preach the gospel, not just to Jews, but to non-Jews as well, who will be saved during that time. It says a great multitude will put their faith in God during this time. And God gives people ample amounts to repent and be saved. And the last judgment is the bold judgments. Revelation 16, 1 through 21 says that these seven bowls of judgment will be poured out. Sores will appear on people with marks. Water will turn to blood. Everything in the water will die. Sun will scorch uh, people's skin. Devastating earthquakes, the worst earthquakes to ever hit the world. A hundred pound hail will fall from the sky. And if you're like most people, you're listening to this and you're going, this just doesn't seem fair. I don't understand why so much judgment to the earth. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. All of us in this room have seen or experienced someone in our life who did something very wrong and hurt people and never paid the punishment for it. Never paid the consequences for it. 
never repented, never humbled themselves and said, I was wrong. There has been unfair, unjust pain that has come across this earth by humanity. And there is a soon coming judgment for all of that. It's, from, it's in the scriptures. This is the judgment of the sins of the world. Now, here's the other thing that's not fair, church. You and I have sinned. Anybody sinned in this room? Yeah, all of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what's not fair? All of us deserve hell, but we actually are going to get heaven and eternity with Jesus. Why? Because we put our faith not in our works. You can't work your way into heaven. You have to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the unfair thing, the unfair thing, but the just thing is that Jesus paid for our sins. And when we look to Jesus and repent and say, Jesus, I trust in you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. There is forgiveness for our sins. There's forgiveness. And it's the justice of God. It's the justice of God that's going to happen. It's the righteous judgments of Jesus. Band, I want you to come up. The fourth section is chapters 19 through 20. Revelation 19 through 20, section 4. Jesus is the King of Kings. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16, says that Jesus will come on a white horse. This time he's coming with his church. Remember when he appeared in the sky, it was for his church. This time it's with his church to set up a thousand year reign and it says on his thigh will be written king of kings and lord of lords that's where some people get the idea of tattoos all right jesus will have this inscription king of kings and lord of lords he's everything jesus is the book of revelation it's all about jesus it's all about jesus and he's going to come. And during this time of section 4, it says he's going to throw Satan into the bottomless pit. He's going to return and set up a thousand-year reign. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And those, this is the dead who did not put their trust in Jesus. There will be a great white throne judgment. And Jesus will open the books. And when your name is found in the book of life, heaven is your eternal reward. But if your name is not in the book of life, hell separation from God for eternity is a destination and you say well Paul that's not what popular preachers are saying today yeah but remember I'm preaching the Word of God there are two destinations after this life heaven or hell God is so good he gives us a choice we get to choose he doesn't force heaven on anybody he says here's your choice choose life so that you may live choose Jesus so that you can have life None of your works could prove your way into heaven. You are saved through the blood of Jesus, which able, enables you and produces good works out of your life. But don't get it mixed up here. Good people don't get into heaven. Forgiven people get into heaven. Good people who don't trust in Jesus have a destination. It's the people in our lives, and we've got to realize this. We've all sinned. There's people in my life who I've done funerals for, did some bad things in their life. But you know what? They called on the name of Jesus before they were saved. And the Bible says anyone who calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. Church, our hope is different than the hope of the world. It's different. Because we don't hope in what we can do here. We hope in what Jesus has already done for us. And he says, I've gone into heaven and I'm preparing a place for you. 
And there's room in heaven. Today, if you're not saved, you haven't put your trust in Jesus, this is the time to do it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. The last section of Revelation, please don't leave. This is so important. Right here. This is the believer's ending. Section 5, Revelation 21 to 22. Jesus is the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom, which means he's coming for a bride. Who's the bride? His church. You and I. Jesus is coming back not for a lukewarm bride, not for a cold-hearted bride, not for a bride that's calloused and angry and offended at each other, but a bride that's hot, a bride that's on fire, a bride that's passionate about Jesus, a bride that's anticipating his return, a bride that worships like victory, 11 a.m. service. Come on, somebody. I love to worship in this service. It's so powerful. But Jesus is looking for worshipers in spirit and truth. Not just lip service, but life service. The bridegroom is coming. Who's the bridegroom? It's Jesus. Revelation 22, verse 20 and 21 says, I'm coming quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come. And he says, I'm bringing rewards with me. Verse 12 of Revelation 22. He says, when I come, I'm bringing rewards for the church, for believers. What are those rewards? We talked about it. Crowns. Three takeaways we can, we can use from this whole passage of information that I just shared with you. It's a lot of information. What do we do with it? Three things. One, share your faith. People need what you have. There are people in your life that I could never reach, that people on television, preachers, could never reach. God placed you strategically in that business, in that apartment complex, on that campus, with those family members, with those in-laws. Come on, somebody. Not a curse, but a blessing, because he says, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. Don't hide your light. Shine. Share your faith. People need what you have. There are so many people in your life that are headed on a highway to hell. And a loving friend would stop them. This last week, I was playing with my son Liam in the driveway, and we were pulling some stuff out of the back end of my car. And we were about 15 feet away from the road, and I thought everything was fine. And I turned my back, and he took off sprinting towards the road. And I turned around, and I go, Liam! Stop! And he's, Daddy? And I shouted intensely, but it was a shout of love because I cared. And I went over and I grabbed him. I said, Liam, you don't cross the road without holding daddy's hand. You don't cross the road without holding mommy's hand. He's so cute. He was like, daddy. I think he understood what I was saying. He realized I was protecting him. And real friends protect each other. Real family members, they're not afraid of risking that awkward moment of confronting their camp family members saying, you got to get back to church. You got to get your life right with Jesus. You need to know, like, there is, heaven is not the default destination for good people. You got to receive Jesus. You got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You got to go public with your faith. The second thing we can do with all this information is this. Be balanced. Deception is rampant. Be balanced. Don't just be all in one topic and have no understanding of the other topic. You know, I'm a big believer in balance, that Jesus came with grace and with truth, that faith without works is dead. James says you gotta have faith produces works, right? Grace without uh, uh, faith is missing what God's called us to do and grace produces righteousness and at the same time, there can be some people so in the faith camp, there's a ditch, there's a ditch on every topic that they refuse to accept the wisdom of God, this other topic that God gives us called wisdom. 
And I think about Joseph in the Bible. He could have lived by faith, and he did live by faith, but he could have only chosen faith and not wisdom. When he had a dream that a famine was coming, he could have said, well, God's going to deliver me from the famine. But instead, he said, you know what? Let's just prepare. Let's just prepare. And he prepared for that famine. He used faith throughout his lifetime, but he also used wisdom. And the day came where Egypt walked through a crisis, and Joseph was prepared. God wants us to be balanced. He wants us to use faith and wisdom, grace and truth, love and justice. And so be balanced. How do we stay balanced? We stay connected to the Word of God. We study the Scriptures. We don't get moved by fear. We get moved by faith. But we also apply wisdom in our life. And the last thing right here, so important, stay faithful, church. It will be worth it. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Every time you serve, it's going to be worth it. Every time you give, it's going to be worth it. And maybe you might see what Roland and Kathy DePew saw, their testimony of giving and seeing God increase their finances. But I got news for you. Your greatest rewards won't be here on earth. Your greatest rewards await you. Your best days are eternal with Jesus Christ. There will be rewards and awards, and the greatest reward is that we get to spend eternity with Jesus. You say, well, what's that going to be like? I'm going to talk about that the week after next.